Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We're currently going through a sermon series called I Am. For these next few weeks, Pastor Jordan will be looking to scripture to answer the question so many of us face, who is Jesus? For generations, people have been debating this question. Was he a good moral teacher? Was he a revolutionary? Was he a figment of history's imagination? Was he a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? John's Gospel records the identity of Jesus by examining his very words. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. Happy Fourth of July weekend. I'm, I'm excited to get into this service today because... The message will be kicking off our brand new series, I Am, uh, the I Am series where we're going to be looking at, and here's the funky graphic, here we go, all right, now, uh, you know, here we go, now, now I'm going to be second guessing myself the whole time, now, uh, this is great, Hannah actually designed this, did this, and we're going to be looking maybe not at every single name of God that's in there, um, some of you who maybe not sure if you can read all of that in the back, but right in the middle, we'll be looking at the I am who I am today. We're going to be starting off really kind of setting the scene for the series that's to come these next two months as we look at the seven I am statements of Jesus. Kind of a well-known way of looking through the gospel of John is looking at those I am statements. So today, we're going to be kind of looking more of the overview of of God in general and the whole series as a whole, not necessarily honing in on one of his I am statements but I'm hoping to really present kind of the, the foundation of this series, the foundation of who is Jesus and who really ultimately is God, and then how, in a sense, that we relate to those truths. And so I also want to give on the outset, at the beginning, we will be looking at a little bit more of a bird's eye view or maybe more of a philosophical approach, and so I hope it won't be too big, but we'll be able to hone in there towards the end and how that applies to our lives and what difference does some of these big, big, almost philosophical, theological ideas we're looking at today, how that really applies to us today in that manner. But again, I'm, I'm really happy to be here and just encouraging to, to see you all. Um, and I just want to open up in prayer and then we're going to get into God's word here and uh, gonna see what he has for us. So let us, let us pray. God, we thank you the words that have been prayed already, the people who've been lifted up, the situations. We know, Lord, there are many people here today, many listening online who have their own situations that they find themselves in. As we sang to open up the service, Lord, they might feel as if they're on the mountain or the valley. But we're thankful, God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Lord, for your rock-solidness, the fact that you are the rock that is higher than I. There's something, God, that we can rely on. Thank you, Father, that you are our fortress, our stronghold. Thank you, God, for these people that encourage my heart today. Thank you for these these people, these souls. Yes, even the youngest, these children in the classrooms. Thank you for them, the life, the potential, the future that is sitting here gathered in a place learning and hungry for your word. For blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Thank you, Lord, for this. So we ask, God, that you would fill us with your spirit today. You would fill us with your truth, and that truth would set us free. Whatever that 
freedom is that we might need today. God, I also pray that maybe there's somebody here today who doesn't know you personally, doesn't grasp what it means to believe in Jesus' name. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. And God, I pray that you would encourage the rest of us, our hearts. You would help us to believe and to walk in faith each and every day. Thank you, God, for the beauty of the simplicity of faith and yet the complexity of it all. God, I pray you would encourage my heart today as I preach that this would not simply be a job or a a recitation, Lord, but this would be a spiritual, transformative experience for us all. To submit ourselves under the authority of your word and to see your spirit work within us. And to watch, Lord, as we see you move. For you are alive today, and we are thankful for that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. A verse that <laughs> so many of you probably even started quoting as I, as I did and as I opened it with. This concept of belief, that whoever believes, whoever believes would not have to perish but have eternal life. Belief. We'll be talking a lot about that over the next couple of weeks, especially because we're going to be in this book of John where John is seeking to answer for us who really Jesus is. Like, who is Jesus? He's the Son of God that for generations, you could say millennia maybe, that people have been debating this question. Is Jesus this good moral teacher? Is Jesus um, a revolutionary? Was he just a, a figment of history's imagination? Was he, was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? Or is he our Lord? See, the Gospel of John is directing us to find out for ourselves the real identity of Jesus Christ. And, and not just do so by looking back in history, but particularly examining the very words that Jesus said. What is it that Jesus said about himself? Who did Jesus say that he was? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the door or the gate to the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Jesus says ultimately, these truth claims, these identity claims about himself. And then, as today, one of them that we'll look at, which is not in the traditional seven I am statements, but Jesus makes a startling statement to the point 
where the Jews seek to stone him immediately after he says it. And he says these words, before Abraham was, I am. Statements that are incredible for any human being to make unless they are true. Do you ultimately within us, do we believe these claims of Jesus Christ? And maybe today perhaps you find yourself coming into church with maybe a little shaky of your faith. Maybe your faith feels shaky. It doesn't feel like that solid rock on which I stand. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like something that's buttoned up and tight-knit. It seems like something that is difficult to grasp. Maybe some of you come in today perhaps with a, a doubting conscience, this sense of doubt. You feel as if maybe you find yourself in the skeptic field where you feel skeptical against these things that we talk about at church and this person of Jesus and this existence of a God. And so how is it that anybody in the modern world could still believe any of those things today, right? Maybe those are things that go through your mind. Or I want us to turn to John 20 to begin today. Because I think these thoughts, these ideas, these claims, these, these concepts have been going on for a long time. Questions that humanity has been asking. And in John chapter 20, we find an interaction between Jesus and Thomas, which I think helps set the scene for this entire series. And then we'll look at really the entire purpose of the book of John that John lays out for us as to why he writes this gospel in the first place. John 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. It's verse 25 of John 20. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands and the mark of his nails and the place my finger into the mark of the nails um, and place my hand into his side, and then look at this phrase, he says, I will never believe. And Thomas, as I've said in past messages about Thomas, Thomas always gets a bad rap. He's always like, man, that Thomas, how could he? And yet Thomas is just like you and me. We're all looking for that evidence. We're all looking for that, that something to stand on. Thomas often is asking the questions that everybody else has, but everyone else is afraid to ask, right? Do you remember late, earlier in the Gospels when Thomas is like, uh, Jesus is like, you all know where I'm going. And Thomas is like, uh, Lord, I, we don't know where you're going. So uh, can you fill us in on that, right? Thomas just raises his hand and asks the questions. And here Thomas is just bold. I, look, I, I don't believe this. This is so miraculous, I can't wrap my mind around it. And maybe some of you feel like that at times. In verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Again, you can hear Jesus saying that to you. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Then Jesus said to him, sorry, he says, uh, do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So my master and my creator. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? You could say for you and me today, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, Jesus says. And then we get to this amazing ending, kind of this 
thesis statement for the entire um, narrative that John has been compiling for us about the life of Jesus. He gives us the purpose of the entire book. We love when authors do this, do we not? (laughs) When they finally say it, like, okay, why is it that he's been writing these things? Well, verse 30, John 20, verse 30, says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. I love that. I, I always find myself fascinated about what would those be? What are those that we don't know about that aren't recorded in the Gospels? It's fascinating. Verse 31, but these, the ones I've written to you, these are written so that what? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. What an incredible statement. These have been written so that you may believe, not just believe in some idea, but believe in the name of Jesus. And that by believing in his name, you may have eternal life. So what I'm saying is today of what we're talking about is of utmost importance. Yes, there are many distractions on July 4th weekend, and there are many reasons as to, that could take you away from these truths today, but this is, this is as important as it gets. The identity of Jesus Christ, the existence of God, and our present salvation by believing in his name. This is, this is as high of importance as it gets. And so today, I just want us to consider the claims of the series, the claims of Jesus, the importance of what it means to actually believe. And no, I'm just going to be scratching the surface of this because no, I don't think I'm going to be able to really fully teach and explain all that there is in faith and belief that is maybe for another time. But it's been something that I've thought about many different times, this concept of, of, of our present belief, our faith in God, our very existence on this planet. There's a statement famous philosopher made, I think, therefore I am. And I had a Gen Z person tell me this week that this is actually a Billie Eilish song, actually. And I said, no, this is Rene Descartes. He said this a lot longer before Billie Eilish. So anyways, um, some of you, that goes over your head, as it almost did me as well, because I'm getting older and older. But um, this Rene Descartes, French philosopher, said a statement, I think, therefore, I am. And he's known as the father of modern philosophy, um, particular in the realm of philosophy as it relates to epistemology, kind of this sense of, of knowing how it is we know what it is we know, right? I told you it's going to get a little philosophical and hurt your brain at times. That's okay. So this knowledge, how is it that we know this um, even some would say some forms of this in this kind of existential philosophies, this inquiry into the exploration of, of human existence, how it is we know what is around us real, how is it that we are here. Some would delve into solipsism, which is this alone on this idea of this earth here as an epistemological position Solipsism holds that knowledge of anything outside one's mind is unsure. The external world and other minds cannot be known and might not exist outside the mind. Descartes is famous for teaching this kind of this methodical doubt. He would 
go through, and as they maybe just sat around at times and thought back in then, because they didn't have YouTube, right? But they would sit around and think, and he would question the reliability of everything around him. Even the reliability of his individual senses to see something, to perceive something. Is around me a fake idea? And Marvel movies and all kinds of modern philosophy are actually exploring these ideas in, in great ways. We just don't even recognize that they're doing that in their movies. But they're exploring the reliability of all these things and the reliability of truth. Is there anything that is true? Is there, frankly, anything that's real? So what is truth? These questions of what that is. And ultimately, what is the thing that is irreducible, that we cannot reduce down to anything else? And ultimately, he made the statement, cotigo ergo sum, I think, therefore, I am. He says these words, I have convinced myself that there is absolutely nothing in the world, no sky, no earth, no minds, no beliefs. Does it not follow that I too do not exist as well, if I can doubt all those things? No, he says. If I've convinced myself of something that I have certainly existed. So after considering everything very thoroughly, I must finally conclude that this proposition, I am, I exist. This is necessarily true whenever it is put forward by me or conceived in my mind. Descartes is ultimately getting at this point that he realizes in his thinking that he does, he he does not exist, he must, if he does not exist, he, he must actually exist because he is thinking one way or another here. He even took, goes into this idea of a demon trying to convince him that he doesn't exist. Well, why is it that demon is trying to convince him? Well, it is because he actually does. I think, therefore, that concept of thinking means that I actually do exist on this plane we call time. In the present tense, I am here right now. You, in the present tense, you sitting there, exist. You're like, this is um, great. Uh, Thanks, Pastor. Really, really helpful to my life today. Uh, What did you learn at church? That I exist. Great. Well, we as human beings, we, we are limited in our knowledge, right? We are limited in our knowing. We cannot actually say certain things that God can say. We're, we cannot say that I have always existed. Or as one writer would say, I existed last weekend because I'm thinking then. Well, how do you know that? You could be misremembering. Doubt floods into that phrase. Our knowledge has limits. We also cannot say in the past that we have always existed and we will always continue to exist. Jordan Moody cannot say to you that I have always been. (laughs) That would be a claim of divinity, would it not? But I can tell you I am here right now. But I cannot say that I will have always been and I will always be. And so, though I might exist in time and place right now, there is a sense of my finite limits. We exist bound by time, space, and matter. We are human beings that exist within a framework of existence that need these things. And belief comes into play for humanity because we are humans bound by these things. We believe and walk in faith because this is our station. This is the way God has created us and made us to be. What is truly transcendent? Certainly it's not us. Certainly we are not creator of all that there is around us. So what it is that we believe? Do we believe in ourselves or something transcendent beyond ourselves? 
God reveals him in the scripture, himself in the scripture, as holy and transcendent above all things. He exists outside of time, space, and matter. He is the uncaused cause. He's the unmoved mover, as philosophers would say. He spoke and he created things into existence. I heard one speaker say in Genesis 1, where you have God who says, in the beginning, that is when God made time, he created the heavens and he made space and the earth he makes matter. Page one of the Bible gives us understanding about the framework of our very existence. God speaks time, space, and matter into existence. Yet the God that we revealed, that reveals himself to us in scripture is so transcendent that he exists outside of time and space and matter. He is creator of it, for he is not in it, bound by it. He is outside of it, And yet, he does not remain aloof. Is that not just the the startling aspect of the scripture that when you begin to encounter it, you you start to recognize this God is not just some force or clock where he winds the clock and then steps back. He invades it. In fact, C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, there's this invasion of God to our world. That God comes and he invades time, space, matter, you could say. And this God, it matters a great deal that he is outside of this because if I have not always been, then that means I had a beginning and that also implies that I may have an end. And in fact, that we could say we will have an end. The significant unifier of every person in this place, the significant unifier of all of mankind is the fact that we all have an end, that we all will face death one day. There is that that joins us together as finite human beings. And all of life in a secular mindset, apart from God that is not transcendent, if this is all that there is, then we are all simply just fidgeting and fudget, uh, fussing as we wait for death to come. But there is something more than that. There is a God, potentially, right, as we're looking into today, if there's a God who is powerful and a being who has no beginning, is transcendent above, that means he also has no end. So maybe, just maybe, God is possibly the only being who can do something about my inevitable end. Is it possible that that if life who comes from a God who is outside of what we know to be life can actually dispense to believers the hope and the reality of eternal life? And this is what we, this concept gets introduced to us in in its maybe most beautiful form or most mysterious and wild form is in Exodus chapter 3. Some of you probably were already guessing this is where I was going with this through the title, I am who I am. Exodus chapter 3. This is the story of Moses and Jesus, speak, uh, God speaking to Moses in the burning bush. Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I and kids were able to go down to Pennsylvania. Some of you have been able to see the Sight and Sound productions throughout the years. This year's production at the Sight and Sound Theater, which is like a Broadway musical kind of um, teaching and, and um, storyline as they do a variety of biblical stories. This year's is Moses. Past years, they've done things like Joseph and Abraham, Noah, 
And I think in the fall and going into Christmas, they're doing the Christmas story down there. And it's just absolutely dramatic, amazing, incredible, lifelike experience to kind of put yourself into that storyline. And they did the story of Moses, and it was thrilling. It was fascinating. It was also thrilling to see that story unfold through the eyes of a seven-year-old and a five-year-old who were at that. It was incredible just watching that through the eyes of my kids. But but, but God speaks to Moses. And I remember asking Taylor on the way home, what was your favorite thing about this, the project, the, the, the whole, um, the, the Moses, the show? I said, what's your favorite thing about the show? And she said, hearing the voice of God. I was like, wow, that's cool. Uh, I was like, wow, I wish I heard that. You know, but there, there was that moment when the burning bush is there. And it's glowing, it's bright, and then God speaks, right, over the, over the entire speaker, and it's loud, and his voice is always low, right? And it gets your attention, and it was fascinating to hear her say that. God speaks to Moses, chapter 3, we hear God speak to Moses. He says, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. Moses says, here I am, he expresses the Hebrew word, I am here. Like, do with me what you will. You are great. Something is there. I do not know what's going on. And he speaks to Moses out of a burning bush, but a burning bush that does not consume the bush in which it's burning. An implication of existence, not that the fire that will eventually consume the bush and then be reduced to nothing, but that there is an endless consuming fire not needing to be burned from with what it is, but rather that it just burns and it communicates this extraordinary existence and power that does not take, but just is. And so that's what verse 11 in Exodus 3, verse 11 says, but Moses said to God, like, who am I? Do you see that verse 11? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Like, Moses is very much, I think, how many of you and I would feel. Uh, who am I? I? You want me to do what? Excuse me? Like, uh, are you sure you have the right guy? And he said, but I will be with you, he says. In verse 13, says, and Moses said to God, well, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? <laughs> what shall I say to them? I love that. I just, again, Moses speaking questions. We might all have, well, are you, are you sure? Well, who, who do I tell him that sent me in the first place? Right? If I'm going to be your ambassador, I'm going to be your little messenger here, what is it that you want me to say? And who is it exactly that is sending me to say this? And so he asked the question. And it's almost like you're an ambassador from the nation. I, I come on behalf of the president of the United States or the king of England or whatever it might be. I come on behalf of... God, you know, and he knows Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They have many different gods. So what God? What's this God's name? What kind of God are you? And God's revelation here in verse 14 is an extraordinary insight into what kind of God he really is. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, the I am, or I am has sent me to you. And God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, which is the, the Yahweh right there, the Lord, the I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, meaning of your forefathers who was in the past, has sent me to you. 
This is my name. How long? Forever. Forever and ever and ever. Thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And many of us know the story after that. But this concept is amazing. The I am. This state of being as Jesus, as God here, and in Jesus later on we're going to look at, but here specifically, the God of the Old Testament, this name. What is in a name? God's name refers to his, his character, his reputation, his being, his nature. A name res- represents someone or something. And when referring to God, God's name is more than just a word or name. Like today, we like to just give people names. Sometimes there's significance to them. Sometimes there is no significance beyond the fact that we just don't know many people with that names if we like the name, right? Back in the day, names had importance to them. They had your character and your background and who you are attached to that name. So it represents all of God's attributes, his communicable attributes. And so we see this idea here, I am who I am, verse 14, this in Hebrew, we, we even find the concept or the name of God. Here we see this idea of Yahweh being expressed to us, which is the word we, we, we would use today. The, in the Hebrew, we would, other words for God would be like El, El, or Elohim, the, the God of the heavens, this heavenly being, the Elohim. The El Shaddai, this God uh, Almighty, or El Roy, the God who sees me, or this Adonai. The Adonai expressing this master, this you are my Lord, the Adonai. And then we see here the Yahweh, or as Hebrew writers would say, this tetragrammaton, this Y-H-W-H, this real sense of the, the word Eya, Asher, Eya, this this I am who I am, the A of there has this, in the Hebrew, the Y-H-W-H being expressed as that's God's name, I am. And so you could say even today it's been transliterated into Yahweh or Jehovah. Some have described it as they try to study where these names kind of came about. With Yahweh, you'd put an A and an E, vowel sounds, in there to make it pronounceable, or we can now verbally say it. The A, some would say, come from Adonai, the A, Yah, and the way, the E, come from Elohim, that he is God and Lord, and he is I am, the Yahweh. Robert Adler suggests alternate ways to describe and understand this I am who I am, for what is that exactly? He says, could mean I will be who I will be. Another way of looking at it is I am the one who endures. I am unchangeable. Another one says uh, I am the one who brings things into being. You could say the very sense of being, the sense that there is anything is because God is. It's, it's literally what he does. <laughs> Yahweh here, then expressing that and all of that, that we, it's so mysterious and, and, and incredible. And I don't know why it is that we think it would be simple for God is, is immensely complex and God is wholly other than us. And so it makes sense that as he communicates who he is to his humanity, it is something that makes our brains difficult to grasp and understand the fact that God is just simply is. He is. God 
has no beginning and God has no end. Revelation says he's the Alpha and the Omega. You could say the A and the Z. He is everything in between and all that there is. This I amness implies God's holiness. We use this scripture a lot, this idea to be holy or God is holy. And he already said, take your shoes off for this is holy ground. It's this different, special, there is something separate, other about it. God in his I amness is holy. I, I heard one writer talk about it. That this is the burning bush concept. This is the utter wildness of God. And he's not so tame and, and capturable and containable, but that it is, it is in a sense utterly wild. Something, as C.S. Lewis would say, not safe, right? And yet something so totally, as we sang about this morning, totally good. He is tov, as we've looked at in the past, this Hebrew for good. And so if God is utterly holy, and I am, and I will assure you this, utterly not, right? If God has always been, and I clearly have not, and I have an end, how is it that we come to share in the fundamental trait of the divine as we then partake in the hope of eternal life? How is that possible? (laughs) Well, the answer to that question is obviously the gap in between God's holiness and our sinfulness, our separateness from God. The filler of that gap, the bridge in between the two is obviously, if you spend any time in church, is the person of Jesus. Jesus is the center. He's the one who brings us. He is the mediator between God and man. And so we look at these last couple of ideas here where Jesus is God. So you turn with me if you have it. You can turn. It will be on the screens of John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Brian uh, Barbary, one of our elders, did a, a marvelous job last week just kind of um, in his prayer and share just relating this scripture to us in a way that he looked at John chapter one and kind of presented some of the beginnings of this series of I Am and just read to us the, I I fear of saying this, but almost the fantastical nature of it. I I know that maybe as a sense that maybe that is not right, but this sense of just the marvelous, incredible, mysterious wildness of God, this sense of it is one of those things that is challenging for me to understand out side of faith and belief in who God is. In John 1, 1, in the beginning. Do you remember that? Genesis 1, 1, John 1, 1, in the beginning. What do we see though in the beginning? In the beginning was the Word, the Hebrew logos, the logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, he pointed out, Brian, last week, wonderfully, just that many people mistranslate this verse on purpose. You'll see in the, in the uh, different cults and their different scriptures that they, re, uh, they really uh, monkey around with the Greek, and they would say that the word was a God. He is a created being, not the God. But here we see that God is the word. The word was God. We're seeing who is this word, this logos, this divine mind, this existence of all powerful force of holy otherness that is there communicating and speaking space, time, and matter into very existence. This word, the God, the divine, 
the divine knowledge of all that there is and all that there was and all that there will be. This word was there in the beginning. This word was with God and this word was God. But this is the difference that we see in any other religion that expresses some sort of divine power above all. Our divine power has done something so extraordinarily crazy in the fact that he does not remain aloof as I said, but he expresses himself in the flesh of you and me. Where John 1.14, the most famous verse from this chapter, we often look at it during Christmas time, where this word that was there in the beginning, that this word that, that only, only all things were made through him, all things that were, uh, every, not anything was made without him, and in him, in this word, was the very sense of life, it says in verse 4. And then in verse 14, this life, this word, took on flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word became a human being. God, Jesus Christ, is both God and human. This word becomes flesh. John 117 goes on to tell us the actual name of this word, and I've already given it up to you, and you very well know, but the law was given through Moses, it says in verse 17, grace and truth now has come through Jesus Christ. We see God through the face of Jesus Christ, the unseen God, the word, the I am, never been seen before, as it says in verse 18, now seen through the face of Jesus Christ. We behold the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ, who will be made human and who will be forever in human form. Hebrews tells us that, that he will be with the Father in the same form as to where he came, in the newly created body. John 8 then goes on and connects this idea. For maybe some of you in their skeptical way, you say, well, that's what John said about Jesus that he was God made in flesh and that he existed before time. Well, in John 8, Jesus himself tells us these things. He's been in the chapter 8, he's been talking with the Pharisees and with the Jews. He has already told them that he is the light of the world. They're very confused at some of these ideas. He tells them, hey, if you believe in me, and many have in this chapter, he says, you believe in me, the truth will set you free. They're then trying to understand these ideas. He's in a contentious debate. Then in verse 48 and on, he talks with the Jews and he says, ultimately, believe in me, you'll never see death. And then they say, the Jews said to him that now we know that you have a demon, you know. Like they're, they're saying, this guy is crazy to suggest these things. They said, Abraham died, this is verse 52, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who already died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? I love that. The question of identity. Who actually do you think you are? Abraham's been dead, they say, for 2,000 years. So you, you can actually think about our position here. We're like 2,000 years to the person of Jesus. who is like them in the New Testament saying, that we're 2,000 years before that was the person of Abraham, you could say. That's what this idea they're talking about, this thousands of years before, and then we're now Jesus saying, yeah, yeah, I was there with him. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old yet. How do you say you've seen Abraham? Like, you're not even 50. Like, not even that that would matter. 
but you're not even 50. And then verse 58, Jesus said the most, some of the most startling words in all the New Testament. He says, before Abraham, or he says, truly, truly, like believe this, I say this to you plainly, before Abraham was, I am. It's a, it's a statement of deity, a divine claim that he is saying, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of Man and the Son of God. Before you in the flesh, I speak plainly to you. Jesus is that transcendent other, the one who is outside space, time, and matter, and yet, due to the great love and grace of God, has invaded space, time, and matter with the very person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to save us from our sins and to bestow upon his believers, upon mankind, eternal life. It's an incredible message. It's the gospel. He's powerful. He's the great I am. Jesus says in this that he, in other songs, we're going to be closing the service after communion, that he is the great I am. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, for Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I, I am literally the very sustenance of your life. And he says this after feeding of the 5,000, and many people want to simply receive the miracles and the fun, exciting things that they get from Jesus. And he says, you come to see these things, but you do not recognize that I am the very sustenance of your life. And then he says, feed on me and drink of my blood, these aggressive statements that push many away, and yet in one way, shape, or form, we do that today in communion. Then it says, I am the light of the world, he says. He's the light that conquers and pushes back the darkness. He gives understanding and wisdom and to our confusion. He says, I'm the door. I am the entrance to where you find this life and also the entrance to your preservation, I'm your safety. I am your, the one who rescues you and keeps you safe and brings you out of judgment and into life. And I am the one who leads you there. You follow me for I am the good shepherd. I am your leader. I am your guide. I am your protector. And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In a sense, I am the conqueror of the one thing that is a 100% record for all of you. Death comes for all. And yet I am the one who will conquer that. It will conquer the grave. He becomes the first fruits of the harvest that because, because Jesus has been resurrected, so too will I, Romans tells us. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. And those who are dead in the grave, in their belief, they will be resurrected on the final day. Eternal life through Jesus Christ because he is the great I am who has conquered grave he has conquered death, he has conquered hell, and he has conquered sin. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There is no other way outside of Jesus. Many competing truth claims that are presented to you on every turn in life, but there is one truth that will set you free, and it is found eternally through the way, the truth, and the life. And then at the end, he says, I am the true vine, in the sense Stay connected to me. Follow me. You stay connected as the branch to the tree trunk and you will receive the eternal nourishment that you need to bear the fruit that you, do, that you produce in this life. Attach yourself to me. Stay connected. Abide and remain into the vine. 
or that trunk or those roots that go down remain there for a branch that is broken off is thrown into the fire, but one who remains connected to the true vine will live. These are the claims of Jesus. These are the statements of Jesus. Our response ultimately here is to come to the place where we go back to Rome's, uh, John, John 20, verse 31, where he told us the purpose of this book is so that we would believe. The purpose of all of these statements is ultimately John 20, where he says to all that we would simply, these are written to you, that, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. And ultimately, as he does, I didn't read it, but in John 8, after Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Do you know the response of the Jews in that statement? <laughs> they took up stones, John 8, 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus himself went out of the temple. And ultimately, that is where we're left here today. When you are presented with the claims of the person of Jesus, when the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart today as to who Jesus really is, you're left with two choices. Ultimately, you bow down and worship him or you pick up stones and throw at him. There's really only two choices on this plane. And there's only two directions on that direction, on that way. And so we... As believers, we find ourselves in a most beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 2 as we close, before we come before the table. Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11, ultimately as Jesus has given us this ultimate example of humility as he has emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, he comes in the likeness of man, he takes on flesh, he gives of himself and lays it down for humanity. And he found in human form, he's obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, verse 9 says, therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I hope that is where you find yourself today as we come before the table, we come to a place where we bow. We, we bow our hearts, we bow our lives to the person of Jesus. For at the name of Jesus that we sung about earlier, that, that name is so glorious and so marvelous and so gracious and transcendent and powerful and personal. And at that name, it causes us as finite human beings to come under and submit ourselves to that name to lay down ourselves on the altar to that name and to come and live our lives as glorious sacrifices of worship to that name. Because it is in believing in the name of Jesus that you have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Let us pray before we come before the table. Father, we thank you. We praise you, God, for your goodness upon us. Lord, we ask that you would remind us of the importance of who you are. We ask, God, that you would remind us about the greatness of your name. 
And that, God, it would not be something that we do as just a simple mental exercise of existence or non-existence, but rather that this would become a transformative spiritual experience, a spiritual reality. God, give us that reality of new life within our hearts, new life where we recognize the old man has passed away, the new has come. God, we walk in the Spirit today. We live in your truth. We marvel at your name, and we give you the glory for all that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray.